So this morning we're continuing um, to look at our series in James entitled A Faith That, that Works. Um, we're slightly out of sync at this point. I was supposed to be here um, preaching this message last week <coughs> and um, I was taken out by COVID. I'm pleased to say that uh, I am now f- negative and can actually be in polite society again. So you don't need to avoid me after the service, okay? Um, so we're looking at James chapter 4, and it's a very short reading. It's just two verses, James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, and it'll be up on the screen, and it simply says this, that he gives greater grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen. Really simple short reading. Um, And I have to say that one of my first problems when I came to this passage was, what do you actually need me for? How hard is it to understand this reading this morning, folks? It's not like there's any complicated Greek words that have been lost in translation that I need to explain to you. It's not like there is some cultural setting that James said these words in that I need to explain and unpack and then figure out how we relate to that in our Western culture today. There's not some deep historical situation that we need to to understand. It just simply says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So, in order to understand the, the, this passage and its context, I might first of all just suggest that there's really only two things in, that we need to understand in this passage, and it should be on the next slide, and that is simply this. Oh, okay, I'll have it sync with my, um, with my slides, that's okay. Um, just to give us a context to these, passage, to these verses, First of all, as I speak today, what I want you to hold on to is what Marcus preached in the verses after this. That's why I'm saying we're out of sync. And what I want you to hang on to is that in the passage that that, that Mark preached last week, God has made a promise where he says, as I mentioned in our opening remarks, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Okay? But to understand these verses, we also need to understand what has gone on before, because it was a few weeks before the, since Mark has preached in the verses before this. It was actually way back in March, okay? And those, he was preaching on an indwelling faith, and he was looking at the end of chapter 3 and then verses 4 to 5. So let me just remind you of, of what those verses say as we move on to the verses 6 and 7 today. James says that, what we focus on internally, the, the attitudes and the priorities that we grow and cultivate in our hearts and in our minds, those internal attitudes will show themselves externally through our words and through our actions. So if we pursue godly attitudes, then they will show themselves in peace and righteousness. And so in James chapter 3 and verse 18, which we saw a minute ago, it says, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. In other words, if you pursue peace, peace itself grows and multiplies. 
And if peace multiplies, so does righteousness, the ability to do and behave in the right way. But James then goes on in chapter 4 to warn, if we pursue worldly attitudes, they will, they will show themselves in fighting and hatred and in division. And so we have these words in James chapter 4 and verses 1 to 3, where James says, you know, as a church, speaking to a church, why is there fighting and division and bitterness among you? It's because you've not set your hearts and your minds in sowing peace and pursuing righteousness. Why have you done that? He says, well, James, again, very quickly running through Mark's sermon from a few weeks ago, James says that as Christians, we are either committed to following, serving, and obeying God, or we are committed to following, serving, and obeying the world, or as Mark highlighted, the world, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We can only be in either one or the other. So in verses 4 and 5, the Bible says that to be a friend of God is to be hostile to the world. To be hostile to the, to be hostile to the world means to be a friend of God. I'm going to come back to this shortly, but the Bible says that for all of us, that either we are in the kingdom of God or in the kingdom of Satan. That either we are walking according to the Spirit or we are walking according to the flesh. It's one or the other. There is no middle line. There's no sitting in the fence. It's as clear cut as that. It's one or the other. And so that brings us, as I said, to today's verses in verses 6 and 7. And I want to suggest to you this morning that there are just two things that you need to remember from those verses. He gives grace, therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God and uh, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Two things that come out of those verses is this. One, you cannot resist the devil without submitting to God. And secondly, you can only submit to God by the power of God. The number of times I have heard, not just in prayers, and sometimes we misremember scripture, but the number of times in sermons I've heard these verses misquoted and folks simply claim the promise, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And it ignores the bit that comes before, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So I want to say to you this morning, you cannot resist the devil without submitting to God, otherwise Satan will run over you like a bus going over a wet paper bag. And then he'll just back up over the remains just to make sure. And we can only submit to God through the power of God. And what is great about that is, and here's something that as Christians we need to grasp, God does not simply tell us what to do without giving us the power to do it. That's the important thing. God does not tell us to do something and say, right, on you go, good luck, come back when you've mastered it. But God has given us his Holy Spirit to give us the power in order to obey what God asks us to do. So this morning, we're thinking about submissive faith. And the choice is not just between submitting or not submitting to the will of God. 
It's based on a choice between humility and pride. And that's why these verses are prefaced with a quote from Proverbs chapter, 30, uh, chapter 3 that says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So what I really want to do this morning is to explore the, the question about why does God give power and blessing to the humble but also rejects the proud. Because unless we understand that, we don't really understand why do we need to submit to God. So, let's take a few minutes to look at what the Bible says about pride. In the book of Proverbs that I mentioned a few minutes ago, there's a passage in there which lists what are what we very often refer to as the seven deadly sins. Now, all sin is deadly. But what Proverbs list is seven sins which it says are particularly offensive to God. I want to read them to you from what's called the Amplified Bible. And again, it'll be up on the screen. And it says this. Six things. These six things the Lord hates. Indeed, seven are repulsive to him. A proud look. And the Amplified expands that by saying, the attitude that makes one overestimate oneself and discounts others. That's a great definition of pride. The attitude that makes one overestimate oneself and discount others. A lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that creates wicked plans. Feet that run swiftly to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies or even tells half-truths. And one who spreads discord or rumors among brothers. These are the seven deadly sins. If we go back onto the next slide, notice what's number one in that list. It's pride. Pride is the first thing, the highest thing that brings offense to God. Why? Why is this particular sin singled out? Well, the Bible says that pride was the downfall of Satan. I know every time I mention Satan or the devil or, or one of his other names that we perhaps have this caricature in our heads of somebody with a pointy beard and horns and a red jumpsuit carrying a pitchfork. And I imagine a wee tail as well if you're that inclined. But what we forget is when we actually look at the Bible is what we need to remember is that first and foremost, Satan was an angel. He was an angel of God. And he wasn't just any angel. The Bible says he was the archangel. He was the chief angel. If there was a second command in heaven, then the archangel would be that second in command after God. But that was the problem, that for Satan, because of pride, being second wasn't enough. The Bible says that what Satan wanted was ultimately to be God to have the power and the worship and the respect and the honor that goes with being number one. And so the first time that we meet Satan in the Bible is when he's in the Garden of Eden, uh, the Garden of Eden and he's tempting Eve with the exact same lie. And so in Genesis uh, chapter 3 and verse 5, it says this, In fact, God knows that when you eat the fruit, your eyes will be opened 
and you will be like gods, knowing good and evil. So there's the prize that Satan's dangling in front of Eve. You can be like God. All you have to do is this. And so John, one of the writers of the New Testament, one of the followers of Jesus, sums up what the world values and pursues with these words. He says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And it's interesting because John says that the prevailing attitude of life in our world is one of pride. And that was 2,000 years ago. Pride is the chief characteristic of the, of the word, of the flesh, and the devil that Mark spoke about when he was covering verses 1 to, one to 5. Now, I, need to, I just, at this point, I need to stop, uh, by the way, and I've lost him, but I need to apologize to Samuel because I burst out laughing during the worship, and I think I, uh, I think you maybe heard it and it kind of put you off a wee bit. The reason why I laughed is because I have two verses to preach on this morning. Preachers are greedy. We like long passages, let's be honest. And so there was a second passage in my mind. But, and the obvious thing would have been, here's two verses, but let's read this passage as well. And for some reason this morning, I felt God was saying, no, just do without it. That passage was Philippians chapter 2. That's why I laughed this morning, because sometimes, especially when you're, when, you're preaching, when you're preaching on pride, sometimes God just needs to remind you as a preacher, you're not actually in charge. Your job is just to keep up with God. So I was delighted this morning that uh, Samuel referenced um, Philippians chapter 2, because in Philippians chapter 2, we are, we are challenged to be like Jesus by rejecting selfish ambition and recognizing the value of other people, the very opposite of a pride that makes one overestimate oneself and discount others. Satan wanted to become God. Jesus, in a sense, was prepared to become something less than God. Because Philippians chapter 2 says he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Different translations say that in different ways. Some translations say do not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And what that means is that he wasn't hanging on to it, you know, folk having to prize his fingernails off of the idea of being God. He willingly became less for our sake. Satan focused only on himself. And again, we were reminded in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus focused on others. He took the form, not just of a man or a human being, he took the form of a servant. He came not to be worshipped and adored, which was his right as God, but he came to get to be a servant of other people and to be a sacrifice for us. Satan is always opposed to God. Jesus is always obedient to God. Satan wants to separate us from God. Jesus wants to bring us to God. There's the contrast between pride and humility. 
And yet, in our world today, when John spoke about the pride of life, he could not have imagined the world in which we live in today because we are constantly bombarded with the message, you do you, live your life your way. Adverts, social media, magazines, books, all telling us that as long as we don't harm anyone else, then we should be free to do what we want, when we want, how we want, where we want. And for some reason, the song that says everybody is free to feel good, something pops into my head. I've probably put that earworm in some of your minds now. But we live in a world where we are told that no one has the right to tell you how to live, how to behave. Which sounds great until you realize that the only way that you can be free to be you without any constraints, without anyone telling you what to do or how to do it or anything else, the only way to live that life of freedom is to go and hide yourself in a cave somewhere. Because the reality is that when, if we are in any kind of relationship, then that affects us and how we behave. I don't suggest you try this um, Tuesday, since tomorrow is meant to be a bank holiday. But imagine you go into work and you tell your boss, mm, some days I'm going to turn up at 10, some days I'm going to go home at 3, some days I might not even turn up at all, depending on how I feel. And I suspect if you try telling your boss that's how you want to live your life, I suspect your boss will reward you with the freedom to find someone else to work for. You can't enter into any kind of relationship, whether it's marriage or whether it's parenthood, and not find that we have to compromise. There's a wonderful poem entitled Love by a very cynical man called Philip Larkin, and he says, the most difficult part of love is being selfish enough. It's having the blind persistence to interrupt someone else's existence. What a cheek it must take. And then he says, then there's the unselfish side. Who can be satisfied putting someone else first so that you come off worst? Cynical or honest. But that's what relationships, that's what love presents us with. That when we, are in, when we have someone that we are responsible for, like a Wayne, or someone else, we have to make a choice. Can you imagine if you decided that you said to someone, right, let's get married, but by the way, you get me as I am. I am not going to change. I am not going to do this. I am not going to do that. You accept me as I am. Everything has to be my way or not at all. Does that sound like love? Is that a relationship you would want to be in? And what happens if you say, well, that's okay, but I'll also want to do things my way. And what happens if those your way and their way clashes? Who's right? Whose freedoms went out? There's a reason why I is at the center of pride, because pride is all about I and me and mine. Humility, on the other hand, is all about we and us and our. And there is no greater demonstration of humility than the cross. God, having become a person just like us, dies a death that he didn't deserve 
to bring about the forgiveness of those who hate and rebel against him. Pride spits in the face of who God is and what he's done for us through Jesus. And that's why God says that he will always give power to the humble, but will condemn the proud. Let me do a little experiment with you this morning. Very simple, and even if you're online, you can still do the same thing. I mentioned earlier on that the Bible says that we are either in the kingdom of God, we're in the kingdom of Satan, that either we are walking according to the Spirit or we're walking according to the flesh. The Bible says something else. The Bible says that either you are owned by God or you are owned by the devil. What's your response to that statement? And I don't mean your verbal response. You're either owned by God or you're owned by the devil. What happened in here when I said that? What was the reaction of your heart and your mind? Was it one of thanksgiving and gratitude? I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me, not just for the, time, the years of time alone, but for eternity. Was it one of worship and gratitude and thanksgiving for the cross and for what God has done for you? Or does something else rise up in you that says, no one owns me? Because if that's what happened, that's pride and you have a problem. Pride says that I don't need God. Humility says that God is all I need. Pride says that what I want is more important than what others want. Humility says that what God wants and what others want is more important than what I want. So if you think that you can resist the devil by yourself, that's pride. And you're fighting Satan on his own turf. He has home advantage and he will beat you every single time. But when we submit to God, when we don't overestimate ourselves, when we don't discount others, we're standing on God's ground and the devil can't touch us. Submission is not a dirty word. Submission is not an act of weakness or an act of oppression. Submission is an act of love that recognizes the value of others without devaluing ourselves. So today, we get to choose how we want, who we want to be like. Do we want to be like Satan? Full of pride, full of selfishness, full of rebellion, full of hate. Do we want to be like Jesus? Full of humility, selflessness, obedience, love. I want to say to you this morning, every single one of us has already made a choice. Consciously or unconsciously, we've already made up our minds. And like I said at the beginning, that choice is reflected in our words, in our attitudes, in our actions, how we behave, how we treat other people, how we speak about other people, how we speak to other people. Today, God is giving you the opportunity to make a better choice, to make a right choice. Today, we get the choice to ask ourselves, are we full of the Holy Spirit? 
We're we just full of ourselves. In a minute, I want to give you a chance to respond to what I've just said this morning. And you can do that in various ways. If there's anything I've said this morning that you, you don't understand or if you don't agree, by all means, come and speak to me. If you want to know more about how you can submit to God, how you can learn and appreciate what God has done for you on the cross, then again, you can speak to me, you can speak to Mark, you can speak to TJ. You can also respond this morning by coming to this table. As I said earlier on, because this table itself is a demonstration of the humility of God, of what God has done for us. As we come to this table this morning, we recognize that God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's why at the very beginning of this reading it says that God gives greater grace. Because this table is a reminder that we are forgiven, not because of anything that we have done, but because this bread represents the sacrifice of Christ, God become man, given for us. That the wine is a representation of the blood of Jesus, which is given for our forgiveness. It's a reminder of the new life in Christ that we can share together when we submit to God. So we can come to this table today in gratitude for what God has done for us and to recognize that it's all done for us. There is nothing more for us to do except to simply take and receive and give thanks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us that we have this view of God sitting in a cloud somewhere arrogantly expecting that all we should do is bow down and worship and tell him how great and how wonderful he is. We recognize that worship and adoration is your right because you are God and there is no one like you. But this morning, as we look at this communion table, we want to worship you because we recognize that God did not just simply sit in a cloud, sit in heaven, and watch the world descend into chaos. But God came into our world. That he was hated. He was spat upon. He was beaten. He suffered injustice and indignity at the hands of the very people that he loved and created. And so we thank you for the cross we thank you that we are forgiven, not because we have been somehow super spiritual, that we have kept all these rules and laws and regulations, and so we have earned, we deserve to be forgiven. No, we don't. We deserve your condemnation. We deserve not to be anywhere near you. And yet in your humility, in your love, in your obedience, you sacrificed yourself for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a relationship with you that you long for, that you have given us not just life in this world, but you have given us eternal life. And so, Heavenly Father, you do deserve honor and praise, and we cannot find the words to express it. And so we do pray this morning that we would be humbled before you, that we would be in awe of you because of who you are and what you have done. That we would come this morning 
in gratitude and adoration with obedient hearts that seek to be more like you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.